Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Welcome everyone to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. My name is Dr. Bobby Maybe. I'll be your host and facilitator for the day. Before we get started, we're going to do some housekeeping. And the housekeeping we got to cover are mentions of our partners and sponsors. We are sponsored by the Chain app, the Smart Chiropractor, China Gel, the T Tool, ChiroUp.com, Drop Release. Gestalt Education, Hyperice, the Chiropractic Success Academy, and uh, one. There's two that we still need to announce. One is B3 Sciences, and they focus on blood flow restriction training. You're going to be hearing a lot about that soon, especially if you're a CSA or sorry, a Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance member. We've got a lot of content to add to our hub about blood flow restriction training. And a new sponsor, I don't even think anybody knows about this one yet, but it's Cairo Health USA is a new FTCA sponsor. Those are our sponsors. We also have partners. They're distinguished. The sponsors support you and us, and we then in return support our partners, which are World Spine Care. Make sure to check out and then support the World Spine Care mission. Uh, you can look them up online real easy, worldspinecare.org. And the Carl Research Fellows, the Chiropractic Academy of Research Leadership. Carl takes brilliant young chiropractors who want to get into the world of research and teaches them how to become young publishing scientists for the chiropractic field and beyond. So be sure to check out Carl, too. They have an event every year, a virtual event that you definitely want to attend each year. It's fantastic. It's like a little metaverse <laughs> uh dr chippendale hey chris do they, you get the, are you allowed to call yourself a doctor over there yeah, across the yeah we have to we have to say doctor of chiropractic on sure like you gotta clarify you're not claiming to be a medical doctor um sure some folks use it some folks don't it's it's a right. bit of a contentious issue over here yeah yeah but we we can use it as long as we we clarify that at the end there yeah our guest today is doctor of chiropractic chris <laughs> chippendale <laughs> And uh, before we even get started, so people get this in the front end and then in the back end, people are going to want to reach out to you and they're going to want to know more about what you're doing and how to contact you and how to get more information on your project. So please tell them how to reach out and what your uh, patient-centered approach is and, and how they can get more information. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, one of the best ways to reach me now is just, is just Facebook. I'm fairly active in the FTCA group, um, the public one and the members one. Um, I'm the only Chris Chippendale that I've ever heard of anywhere, sure. particularly in chiropractic. So uh, you can you can search my name there. <laughs> um, I have a website where I have more of the, the patient-centered content, various projects and things I'm up to. Um, I did a dumb thing and named that. I, well, I chose a word that's spelt differently in the UK. So we skip out one of the E's. Um, so it's spelled differently, but it's patientcentered.co.uk. I guess we can stick that in the show notes. Sure, um, absolutely. Yeah, you, you can find me there, chris at patientcentered.co.uk, um, or just go to the website there. Or like I say, I'm, I'm pretty active in the group, so you can always just shoot me a message on Messenger. It doesn't have to be a formal go to my website and send me an email kind of thing. Um, yeah, and it's my, my real focus is helping ethical practitioners better connect and communicate with their patients. Um, when I started out, there was a lot of stuff out there that was like the kind of practice management, patient management stuff that was – Still kind of held over from the 80s. It was very much vitalistic. It was about, you know, here's how to pitch. Here's how to sell. Here's how to use x-rays as part of that. Here's the script that you use with every single patient. And there's good stuff in there. Like I, I could see there were smart things they were doing right, but it was just in service of this pretty crappy product. Um, so my focus just became taking that and going, well, how can we use things that work within that? for a much better product, a more evidence-based, you know, ethical patient-centered approach. And what else is there out there? Because, you know, it turns out, and this is finally starting to spill over now, but there's loads of stuff outside of chiropractic that chiropractors really should know. I mean, I know you're a yeah. big fan of motivational interviewing as well. You know, that yeah. comes from the counseling world. Um, so there's there's loads of other approaches, loads of other techniques and disciplines out there that have put a lot of focus into this. The, the mental health stuff's great because all they really have is communication. 
That's right. Therapeutic Alliance is their only tool. So they've done a lot to work out, well, what makes it work? What doesn't? How do we refine that? Um, not to say I teach chiropractors how to counsel and be mental health professionals or anything like that. No. Yeah. We can use those same skills you know, to better serve our patients and to help them see the value of what we're providing and why they should choose us and not, you know, the guy down the street selling a big 36 plan to everybody and re-X-raying every couple all of right. months and all that kind of stuff, really. So, yeah, that that's kind of what I fell into. That's been my real passion as well as uh, as well as treating patients. No, I, I know we're going in one direction, but I'd rather go this direction first, the patient-centered approach and communication, which is right up your alley. Um It is one of the reasons why I I appreciate you so much because I think, you know, if you ask each chiropractor, what is their thing that they're really, really good at? Like, what do you do really, really, really good in your practice? Some of them might say the adjustment. Some might say rehab. Some might say it's their diagnostic skills, so on and so forth. Some would label patient-centeredness as bedside manner, right? Yeah. My bedside manner. Um, you know, and if I had to self-assess and, and be honest, I would probably say my when I first started my career, my absolute strongest attribute was my diagnostic skills. And that was straight out of chiropractic college. Just, you know, went to Western States Chiropractic College, the Harvard of chiropractic colleges, but it's now University of Western States, which probably makes it more like the Cornell or something, the Rutgers of chiropractic colleges at this point. Um so my diagnostic skills coming out were strong, strong enough that even my partner who was an internal medicine specialist said, you're one of the best diagnosticians. Of course, he's referring to musculoskeletal diagnosis uh, that he had ever met. And I thought that was pretty flattering. And for a young kid, that is pretty flattering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as I got more hands on more people somewhere mid-career, I start. I would think that my adjusting skill was my strongest attribute. You know, like I really became what I feel in my own personal opinion as a really good adjuster. And then as I knew that wasn't the only tool in the world, um, I really started to hone in on the rehab skills. And then that became my strongest attribute. But I kept adding on attributes as I went, which is a benefit. Like I didn't ever rest on my laurels. Hmm. But then in retrospect, I have this patient who's also a friend, a friend and patient. I know those aren't always advised but this it just happened to work this way this guy's a very good confidant uh he happens to be a ceo of a multi-million dollar uh, corporation so he knows a lot about the world in his own right and he likes to observe me while i'm treating some because we have an open concept uh floor space and he's he sees sometimes when i'm kind of frustrated with patient communication he's like you're you you he says this i don't say this and i don't believe it but he says you are the best chiropractor i've ever been to and we all get that right that's that's not unusual for any of us who've been practicing long enough someone's going to tell us that um but he's been to some names he's dropped some names of people that have adjusted him like oh you think i'm better than that guy and he's like absolutely i'm like oh that's funny i can't wait to see him at a conference someday (laughs) um and he goes, you're really, really good at this thing, which is a compliment. If we do this long enough, we're all going to get. Why do you still get consternated or frustrated with a patient interaction? And I go, because this is constant and never an improvement. And if there is a situation I feel like I miss on the patient communication side of things, if there is a, a, a cue that I missed in communication, if there's something where I miss the opportunity to connect and go deeper with the patient to get a bigger outcome for them, I get really frustrated almost like as a perfectionist thing. Mm. It's, it's easy to crack back in my opinion now. Um, <laughs> yeah. You get it's to that point where it's kind of muscle memory, right? Like- it's Yes. It's easy to work up the diagnostics. Um, it's, it's easy to understand if you run through the SFMA, what we're going to do next in the algorithmic flow. But this, the human being is such a consternating mystery because <laughs> so many of them are stoic, you know, or they're poor historians mm. or they, they don't want to give you everything. Well, they're or they're just in denial about what's going on. Or they're in denial. There's all these different things that you kind of got to cue in on. And I'm starting it like we have big windows in the front of the office. I'm starting it from the moment somebody gets out of their vehicle in the parking lot. And yeah. even the, the staff is like, how do you do this? Like I'm watching them open the door. 
I'm watching the first words that come out of their mouth. And it's come to this point where that seems to be, even though the younger chiropractor will tend to really focus on diagnostics, the techniques, yeah. the adjustment. I think the bread and butter 80-20 is the ability to connect, read, and then communicate appropriately with the person that comes in the door. 100%. I, I, I couldn't disagree with the thing you said. Now, about. here's the next part, because you're in this mix. Is this a teachable thing? Because I do, my strongest um, attribute as a human being is my intuition. Like I am a people reader. And mm -hmm. that just comes from growing up in a volatile environment when I was young. I had to know the room to know whether I was safe or I was in danger. I know how to had to behave in a room by reading the people who were in the room. Um, obviously, I've turned that for good from a clinical standpoint, but my intuition and people reading skills are extremely strong. I can't teach that to anybody. I mean, I could probably drop a couple of hints, but what do you think? Can you teach these sort of things or what kind of success do you see? I mean, I sure hope so. Otherwise, I don't know what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> We're running a really long con. Um, yeah, that's I mean, right. I look, at, I look at it like any other skill. Like, um, like I, I compare it to singing a lot. Like, if you take my wife, she she's had a couple of professional lessons from a teacher she got to know in the last couple of years, but she's been singing her whole life, completely untrained. Really great, powerful voice. Really great range. Just a natural, amazing singer. You know, the kind of person who gets up and does some karaoke. Like everyone's up there cheering. She's amazing. Right. I can't sing out. Like I tried. Mm -hmm. I, I had my little singer songwriter phase when I was a teenager, and you know, like wrote some god awful stuff. And then I eventually learned. You know what? If I just cover like comedy songs, no one cares about the music. <laughs> so. I was one of these guys. Like I didn't really want to play guitar. I wanted to be a guitarist. It was about the, the kind of getting the attention on stage. If I'm honest. sure. Um, but you know, and I know that if I got lessons, like if I if I really worked at this, I could probably with a lot of effort get to be an all right singer, like the, the kind that you wouldn't turn away from at karaoke, but like not the kind people would ever compliment you on it. Right. Um, so I think, I think communication is the same thing. Like some people have a natural inbuilt ability. Some people like, you know, there's that intuition. They just do it and they don't even know how. Other people, they don't. They're starting like I am with singing. We can all improve with lessons. My wife got better with lessons, but it's there's there's a natural i think range that we can reach so some of us can go from being like great to awesome some of us can go from being if we're honest not great to pretty good and that's yeah i, I would say you. they're going to see more of a difference in the great to awesome people personally i think that's where you can really shift the needle for people it's just getting from struggling with it and, and hitting a lot of barriers to go oh i can kind of overcome some of these now and do a better job um right so i think everyone can improve but yeah there's there's it's it's whether it's genetics or not, like it's, it's a large part is personality. Upbringing early life has a huge role. You know, the wounded healer concept, that's that's common for a lot of us, I think. Everyone's upbringings are different, but that's going to play a role there. But whether it's genetics or upbringing, a lot of it's, you know, there's there's only so much we can influence there. So or, Yeah, or to rephrase, it's sort of like you have to have a pain point. You have to hit a wall at some point. And when you hit the wall, it either has to it, it, it either matters to you or it doesn't, right? Yeah. Like when I hit a communication wall, it matters to me. Yeah. But you could take like a rote sort of narcissist and they would hit a, a wall and it, like, who cares? Right. <laughs> so I'm still going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And um, you can be, you can be good enough and go, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with this. Like I, I, yeah. I love, like, I'm really interested in nutrition. I'm really interested in rehab, but I also know I'm, it would take so much energy for me to become truly great at that. I look at it and go, well, that, that's not what my niche is going to be. I'm going to work with people. I'm going to have a network and people I can refer to and have experts in that. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a certain point where you can go, well, this is working well enough for me as long as you have other people around. That is you that can, fair you can enough to say when uh, the ability to communicate with patients is almost a, a requirement for the job? Yeah, I think I mean, you, you have to pass off nutrition. You could pass off rehab or no, that's true. Yeah, I could pass off patient experience. Yeah, it's it's you can't. Really, well, Maybe if you had a really stellar front desk, or uh, somebody who could really do a lot of the the onboarding of a new patient and the introduction, you, you and can buffer up for it. I think certainly. I, mean, like, I know last time we spoke, we talked a bit about social styles. That's something where you can go. On the one hand, you could practice being able to communicate with every style and become super versatile. Like that, I focused on that because I love that. I find that really interesting. Or you yeah. could go, you know what? I'm really good with these people. 
I'm all right with these ones. This style I just struggle with, but maybe I've got an associate who, who connects really well with them, in which case, you know, you can say to the patient, think this person may just be more your kind of chiropractor. They may work better. So you can to some degree there, but no, I think you're right. It's not really like you can't refer out for communication. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you could though. So like (laughs) there definitely have been chiropractors in the past, you know, they just put all the patients face down. Right. They just, yeah, you could be a really good high volume. Like if you want to do the whack and crack and cut and like, you know, I know that there's there's a lot of problems with that. I'm I'm a bit more relaxed about it than most chiropractors. That stuff, I think, if you're being honest and going, look, man, this is just to convey about. This is just for people who like being cracked, or this is just for people who all they need is being cracked, and it's the subset of patients that only need that. Like, I don't mind that. It it doesn't it doesn't light me up. I wouldn't want to do it, but it's right. It's like I, I compare it to flying a lot. Like, you know, I would like to think that my practice and the way I approach patients it's like the kind of business class. It's like, you're going to get the same journey, but you're going to enjoy it. You know, there's, it's going to be something you look forward to. You're going to have more of the, you know, the bells and whistles, and it's going to be an experience where you feel really taken care of. Um, but that doesn't invalidate the concept of economy. Yeah, that's great. I don't fly business class. When I fly, I fly a <laughs> Right. I don't care about that stuff. Like when I make my morning coffee, I've spent an ungodly amount on espresso equipment and like getting <laughs> like hours and hours learning how to do that. Like I'll spend good money on my coffee. But someone else will fly business costs and, you know, drink instant Nescafe. And that that works for them. And I think that's true for chiropractic. You know, you can, you'll have patients who they just want to get cracked. And that's maybe right. coming to see somebody who's doing the business class of chiropractic, that's not what they need. Maybe they don't need all the additional things. They don't need a lot of rehab and that sort of stuff. And I don't, I think there's a place in the market for that. I don't, it's not what I want to do. It's not what I, and it shouldn't be, you know, it gets missold a lot. It's like, yeah, this is like this is going to help you with so much stuff. It's like, no, dude, that's like right. that's economy, you know. You, right. You, Be honest about what you're delivering there. Yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. So there's, don't I mean, sell the dream. I'm not like defending high volume whack and crack and 36 plans kind of stuff, but um, well, I've so, come into this concept lately, and it's out of the privilege I have. Like, I, I have a, a an abundance, like uh, uh, high reviews, and I have enough volume or new patients that I have this privilege to try this new experiment that I've been trying. We all get this sometimes where somebody walks in the door and immediately, well, not maybe not all of us get it, but we get this intuition of like, this is not a good fit. This mm-hmm. is, I could just tell right away, this person's not meant for this office, whether it is somebody like I would be business class as well. Mm-hmm. And you can tell they just want to be, for instance, last week we had somebody come in and the front desk gave them the paperwork, you know, showed up late they're like, here, he's checking his watch and they're sort of like, here's your paperwork because I don't do paperwork. Yeah, I just need to get cracked. I just need to get cracked. The paperwork's a waste of time, all this sort of stuff. And it's like, not even not a good fit, but I don't want to deny him care. There are, There's somebody in town that can help him out better than I can. You know, mm. somebody who's a little more rapid in their approach and more uh, economy, right? Mm. And... In the past, when I've had to, and there are many people out there that have to, you have to take the patient. Like you, mm. you just have to. You can't turn yeah. down business, you know? It's a nice position to be in when you but can I, say, I could take I'm you. In this, you're not, this isn't the right place for you. and yeah. Or I'm not going to take your case. And I tell the staff, you know, there is one opportunity in an ethical-based practice. There is really one opportunity to say no in a relationship. Mm. And that's at the beginning. Yeah. If you try to say no mid relationship or later, it is very sticky, ugly, dirty. Yeah. And nobody likes it. Well, You're they, one they opportunity. On, you know, they made me think that <laughs> I was the one for them. You know, we were going to settle down that stuff. But it was a casual thing the whole time. I, I'm betrayed at that point. Yeah. Right. At both at both people's expectations are not going to be met. Mm. Um, so the opportunity is right at the beginning, and you don't really unless you have the strong intuition and the strong will and purpose to know what you're trying to deliver. And you, and unless you've built this network where you have other people you can refer to and all that, you can't, you don't have the privilege to do what I do, which is like, um, Nope, this isn't the place for you. Uh, let's get you to somewhere that can really actually help you. We don't, we don't do that here or whatever you want to use for their language. And you'd be shocked because back in the day when I would not turn down business because I couldn't afford to, what a, what a sometimes miserable place to practice. Mm. You'd be shocked now saying no, how many 
wonderful people will pick up the phone. Every time I say no, four wonderful people call in about an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying that's for everybody. Once or twice they're referred by the person you said no to. They were like, oh, really? I'm like, awesome. That has happened. That has happened, yes. It's like the the idea. Like, everybody's (laughs) wanting this. is great. Like, you've, you've gone to the place that can help you. I haven't had to be stressed out dealing with you and the expectations I can't meet. And you've sent me a wonderful person who's going to be a great fit. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't it takes, happen all the time. But it takes time to get there. It takes yeah. time to get there. And you have to, uh, your team has to be on board and you have to really understand what you're doing, what you're trying to deliver. Mm. I think mean, you're really right with the team as well. That's something that I think, I mean, there are, I know there are practices out there that get this, you know, they do it better than we do. Like I've, I've put a lot of effort into our front desk um, team and experience the last decade. And I'm super, like they literally won reception team of the year award a few years ago for the British wow. Like they're they're amazing. They're they're really, really fantastic. Um, but you know, I know there's other brilliant teams out there. That's not something unique about us, but I think it's something that does get forgotten quite a lot. And I know when I first started out, uh, I had the odd experience where it worked brilliantly in the room with me, but then something happened on the front desk and bang. Like not only I, I had one patient who didn't come back for five years, who was a regular maintenance patient. Who said I, this sounds really bad, but I couldn't. I couldn't come back until you got rid of that dragon on the desk. Like I just yeah. couldn't do. It. Yep. And yeah, it's. I didn't see it so much myself at the time, but I look back and go, "Whoa, yeah, that's that's not." Good. <laughs> you know, when every mistake has to be the patient's fault, it's like that's. that's <laughs> not what I'm trying to do here. That's that's not healthcare. <laughs> so I, yeah, I try I to that's a huge part of it. I try to impart to the staff that it's you know. You, the, there's the common phrasing, uh, the customer's always right. I go, except that these aren't always customers, they're patients. So sometimes they're never wrong and sometimes they are wrong. And yeah. we have to know when to draw that line. And um, it takes a little bit of, I guess you use the word empathy, where you have to put yourself in the person's shoes. So you get the staff to understand that people hurt mm-hmm. people, hurt people. Uh, they'll say things they don't, you know, they get angry. It's really hard to get, once somebody's upset, it's really hard to sort of get in their shoes and understand why, Mm. you know, like uh, we can have one example. One lady uh, came in pretty bad, low back type of lumbar strain type of thing and um, emergency. But in our office, we say there are no chiropractic emergencies. So that automatically alerts the whole team. When someone says emergency, Mm. they're automatically cued to say, oh, I got to pay attention to this patient because there are no emergencies. So why is this person behaving like there is an emergency? Yeah. And we know that there's a behavioral thing we have to address here. And the this particular patient historically waits until everything is an absolute disaster, then comes in and just piles on everybody mm. once it's at disaster level. And we try to communicate to her, we got to handle these things uh, through strength, endurance, and maintenance, if you want to include that too. Oh my God, dear Lord, maintenance <laughs> to prevent things or at least be a little bit more proactive in our health rather mm-hmm. than wait until disaster. And then me basically saying, you come in here and you treat us all like shit whenever mm-hmm. you're having a bad day because you let it get this far. How about you stop doing that? Mm-hmm. You can't say that to every patient, but there are some, you, that's the intuition part where you know what you can get away with and you know what you can't. And with that patient, when I said, you can't come in here and treat us like shit, just because you're having a bad day, her eyes turn into big saucers. It's like, oh my God, you're right. I've been doing that. And that's a fundamental change in her life by being honest with the communication. Yeah. Sometimes they just need calling on it. Like I, I have literally yesterday, not, not as severe as that, but she, you know, she'd been coming for maintenance and she'd been doing fine. I hadn't had any issues for a good few years. And then she comes in like three weeks early going, yeah, I don't know what happened, but it's it's gone again. It's not as bad as it was, but yeah, like, I don't know what happened. I just woke up like this and then sort of digging into like, well, what's been going on? Anything in your life, this or that? And she's like, well, you know, like my, like my mom's really quite sick. She's been sick for a while. And like, it, you know, looks like this, we might be heading into final days. And my husband is, they've just done a biopsy. Like, we don't know what's going on there, but, you know, we're kind of waiting to find out what's wrong with him because he's been unwell for a bit. But, you know, I'm not really stressed about it. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, meanwhile, like she's sat on the bench and I'm palpating, like, I'm like, your spine's stressed. Like it's, I said, it's not a fair time to assess you because you've just, it's just gone. Right. Like you've just right. had an flower. Sure. But um, yeah, she was laying on the bench. She's telling me this stuff. And I, I said to her, I was like, look, 
I'm going to say something. I'm going to be a little bit harsh, but I think I know you well enough for this. And I was trying to like kind of just prepare a little bit. It's like, yeah, you say you're not stressed. I don't believe you at all. Yeah. I believe you think that, but I don't believe for a moment you're not stressed. That sounds like so much better when a Brit says that. <laughs> like just with the accent, you know, it sounds so much, It's it rolls so much nicer. I thought, you know, if I moved to the US, would I get all these? You would destroy. Yes, accents. you would kill it. Like, you would absolutely like, kill that's it. That's nothing here. That's. <laughs> I could like get twice the contextual effects going on, right? <laughs> did she absorb that appropriately, do you think? Yeah, she did. She was like, Okay. Yeah. May, maybe I'm not so aware of it. And she's, she's quite like driver, quite type A. And I'm like, you know, like okay. I get it. Cause I can relate. Like when I was younger, I didn't, Oh no, I'm not that stressed. Like we're just getting on with it. You know, like I'm such a capable, amazing person that like my mother and my you know partner might be facing cancer, but I'm a, I'm cool as a cucumber and getting on. It's like, right. no, I was no bottling all that stuff up and pretending it wasn't. And I believed it. Like I, I bought my own BS there. Um, and we had a really nice chat that sort of ended up with her being like, yeah, maybe I need to, maybe I need to look into that a little bit. And like, for me, that was like a, that was a great win. Like, yeah, you know, and then adjusted her and her back was doing better and like all that stuff's cool. But like the bit I remember about that was that she went, huh, maybe I don't know myself as well as I thought. Like those are the ones for me where I'm like, that was a really cool appointment. That's, that's all you really need. I mean, that's your responsibility at that point. It's yeah. Not, it's not next to go Dr. Phil and kind of pull out the long couch. Oh God. Yeah. That's and I, and like, you know, that's the thing with that. When you got that wounded healer thing going on, like th there is a temptation there sometimes, like it won't be right. for everybody, but my wife qualified as a counselor last year. So like I was learning what she was learning and like looking at her books and stuff like, this is so cool. Like this is kind of what we're doing, but in a different context. And, you know, I was saying like, well, she, it's a three year course. And like the first year you can just get a post-grad certificate. And some people do that just for like personal development. They don't do it because they're planning on being a counselor. They don't do the second two years. And we were talking about, I was like, yeah, I quite like to do that. I was like, well, maybe like, is there a place for like the chiropractic counselor where you could do? And I, I started going down this thing and then I was like, no, hang on a minute. A, yeah. there's no place in the market for that. There's like maybe 0.001% of people who would go looking for that. But also I was like, ah, you know what? This this is me wanting to like get back into my savior mode. That's like, right. This is me wanting to like dive in and then go, and now I'm going to help fix it, which is like completely the opposite. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I think we we all get that temptation when you are a healer, even wounded healer or not. Mm. Um, if you had got that healer mindset, you do want to kind of go that extra mile and do the thing. And that's also what a wellness practitioner is kind of geared towards, right? You want to mm. go that extra mile. You want to do the physical. You want to go with breathing. You want to go with the counseling, uh, home advice. And at some point, you just have to just point their shoulders in a certain direction and go, and if, yeah. and be talented enough in your networking skills and your community building skills to know when and who to send them to when it's when that's the right time. Yeah. And that that's what's got me. I've got probably more excited about that than anything else in practice, I'd say, in the last five, six years is having that network and being like I love the case manager role. Like my favorite yes. cases are ones where like I've sent them away, like to a not like away, but I've sent them to a whole bunch of people and like, you know. There's one thing like the the best DAC NB I know of this part of the UK. I've sent them to see the best functional medicine guy I know. I've sent them to see the best TMJ guy. Like we have this joke that I'm like, I'm just the like regular chiropractor. She's the like, facilitator, yeah. Yeah. And it's like she's got all this stuff going on. And like I just I just crack her neck because it helps with headaches. And like every week she'll come in and I'll do that and I'll see her weekly. Like we've tried spacing it out and I know that freaks some people out, but She's happy coming in once a week to get her neck cracked and she's seeing all these other people. And it's like, I promise I'm not trying to get rid of you. Like <laughs> I've got the easy, like she had surgery recently and I was chatting to her going, you know what the cool thing is? You've had all this surgery, you come back in. I'm not really going to do anything that different. Like we're still going to take care of this one part, but like I, I got her to see all these other people in the network. And it's so cool when you make that referral and they come back and go, thank you for sending me. Oh my God, they're amazing. That made such a difference. Like, when I kind of prefer back. hearing that about other people than myself now in a way, not in a like false humility way, but it's like, cool. Like we're building a team here. This is, this is what you need. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about that is when they come back, they actually value what you're doing. Yeah. They, they credit yeah. you. It's like, right. you know, if I, if I sent you this amazing restaurant, you have this brilliant time. It's like a wonderful meal, you know, best service you ever had. Like you come back and you're thanking me and like, I'm getting a little bit of that credit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's a nice kind of feeling with that. And those, 
I think that like there was, so, I can't remember who it was. Somebody in the group just the other day was saying, yeah, I think that we were talking about this like business class economy. Like some people just need cracking. Some people need more. And they were saying like, yeah, I think this is kind of like concierge level where like they need longer. They need like a 45 minute or an hour session. And I'm blending a lot of rehab with it and stuff like that. And I think there's definitely some people there. I'm experimenting with longer sessions myself at the minute, but they said, you know, the problem is like to charge to, you know, three, four times the amount that a lot of people don't want to pay that. And I was saying to them, that's one way of doing it. To me, I think you're better off building that team. Cause if I, like they could go see one practitioner and pay like 400 pounds and get an hour, or they could go see four practitioners for a hundred pound each and get 15 minutes they will value the four practitioners more. They will think they got better, you know, essentially is, better, better value for their money. Yes, that is one of the concepts that that is pretty well understood about patient experience, customer experience, Yeah, um, is that when the experience is spread out over multiple spaces, even places within the same facility or multiple facilities, the person values the experience more. Yeah, uh, it's even what was the I, I always reference this because I read this guy's book and I'm going to get people are going to give me shit for it. But it was he was on like MTV or something. It was like the, when they were doing like the pickup artist. Oh, like, Neil Strauss. Neil Strauss wrote that book. Yeah. Uh, the, game. Exactly. the game. And he yeah. had in that book, he had the guy mystery. Mr. E or something like his name. Oh, he has the fuzzy top hat. Yeah, we and his whole thing. He was like a relationship expert guy, and he wrote a book. And in his book, that was also his advice when it came to relationships: is if you spread your like, if you went out on the first date with a potential uh, partner, and your first date was in multiple locations, like you know, at the bar for a drink, and then at the restaurant, and then you went. Uh, you know, out to the art museum after that, like you spread out your experiences, the person valued the experience more than if you just sat down at dinner and and had a conversation in one spot. Like if you went for coffee and then a walk or a hike, it was more valuable than if you just went for the hike or. That, that explains the date night my wife and I had last week. <laughs> like, we, we went to have dinner. I went to see a music on the halfway through. We walked out. We were like, this is awful. Like I can't watch it. <laughs> we found this cocktail bar and we like came out like people are like, how's the musical? Like, oh, terrible. Like yeah. waste of money. But we had this great night and yeah, it was like, we literally took it to a third location. And well, I think that's one count walking up and down the street five times. That counts. That counts. But And so yeah. with a new patient, some advice that we give is uh, like in the chiropractic success Academy, we give us advice all the time, give a new patient a tour of the office, yeah. not you specifically, but perhaps the front desk would give a tour. So the patient's yeah, familiar yeah. with the office and they get a larger view of what's going on. I think yeah. this is what people who practice in just one room, the, the little doc in the, in the box, the lone wolf, they're at a severe disadvantage here because there's just a room. Yeah. There's not much experience to get there. Then again, like you said, if we are trying to accomplish a certain task and you're managing that task as the facilitator and they're going to a different facility and then mm. a different facility and then you've got a good massage therapist because you don't want to do half an hour of soft tissue work there. Like if you My give up, not up to that, man. Yeah. <laughs> if you give up the hero role, as in the hero has to do everything, but you uh, 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 absorb or accept the hero role that I'm going to allow other people to be the hero for you. But yeah. I'll, you know, I can take the credit as a facilitator if you want. I think that the patient is extremely appreciative of that. Yeah. But yeah I think it's it, like being, being Obi-Wan. It's like, you don't want to be Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Like, the he patient, he, he, he lost Luke's his Skywalker. fucking hand, man. <laughs> that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> a hand. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I guess Obi-Wan does get killed. So maybe that's not, the, but you want to be that you want to like, I look at the Lion King and like Rafiki, Rafiki's the dude to be. He turns up, <laughs> smacks him on the head, says, look, get your head straight. Yeah. Off you go, have this psychedelic trick where you see your, your father that's in right. the sky and go back and face <laughs> your fears. Like that, that mentor role to me, you know, it's, it's so much more fulfilling than being the hero. And also the, right. the problem with being the hero is it's, it's great when you win. But when they don't get better, it's like like both of you are unhappy with you. That's right. And there's no one else to be unhappy with. Like, I'm going to save you from this back pain. And when you don't, Matt, like you, you can't have the highs without the lows. And I, I did that for years. You know, first few years in practice, I think most of us do. I've not met many practitioners who don't struggle with that. And, you know, like it's at the end of the day, it's the ones that like you really couldn't help. They're the ones you end up taking home. We kind of have that bias of, yeah, I helped some people, but oh God, they're not getting better. And they're really not happy with me now. 
Yeah, you never remember the 20 that were awesome, and it's like yeah. the one that you you failed along the way. Yeah, Here's another concept too. For, lows a bit. That, that, that just gets better, I think. Here's another concept for listeners too, and this comes from the fitness world. It comes from Thomas Plummer. Uh, he's written many books about fitness business and how to operate a fitness business, and uh, so many people become personal trainers want to get in on the one-on-one fitness business, right? One-on-one training. And his concept was, you know, small groups are the way to go. Mm. Um, but a small percentage of your business should be one-on-one and one-on-one should pay first class rates. Yeah. You may have people that come in your office that need a special program. You can call it your low back Academy. You could call it whatever. That's the long term high price cash only program. You can have one of those however legally you need to price it, however you design it so that the value matches the price tag and all that. But in reality, uh, just like in the fitness business, maybe 10% of the people are going to be candidates for it, qualify it for it and actually want it. Yeah. It's not going to take over your business or your practice. If you have like the super mega program, it might be a small percentage, but that small percentage is very valuable. Yeah. It's not 50%. It's not half your practices in your mega 24 week low back Academy where you're going through full spinal stabilization in, in, a, in a in an environment like you know I have this thing it's in my yeah. head I got this thing ready to go it's just you're right the audience is not always there for these kind of things yeah. because you because most people think the audience is going to be sixty percent of their patients and it's like no it's five and I mean do, what do you reckon of this because I I reckon you could probably you could get closer to that if you were a niche within the business if you were like sure. you know what like. You have five other practitioners. Absolutely. That, but you, you, I think you're right. You've got to nest it. You know, it's it's like, um, what's it called? Distribution begins with P. Pareto. Um, Pareto's distribution, yeah, 80-20. Sure. of that business. If you want to focus on the 20, that's cool. But you're not just going to have people walking in off the street, all of themselves selecting that way. Well, that would be the yeah, idea. A lot of business to build that. I don't think that's viable. And this is why we are brothers from another mother is like you, you had the perfect bridge to what we wanted to talk about next, right? Which was the doctor versus associate type of relationship. Mm. And wouldn't that be the dream if you had a bunch of different types of practitioners in one facility that met most of everybody's needs? So you had a doc that handled the quick adjustment type, the driver, the, I just want to be cracked. So you didn't have the joint at the joint you had the joint within your office. Remember, that's got to be a different experiential space, right? It's different. Like they don't see the exercise floor. They never touch the workout room. They don't don't want to see (laughs) a kettlebell. It's got to be a different experiential place. You have somebody who gets into more um, relationship treatment plan. You know, they're handling maybe the personal injury cases. They're doing more of the clinical work. And then we have the clinical leader who really has a niche that they really, really want to focus on, but they can still facilitate everything that's going on. That typically doesn't want ha- happen in, at least in America. We What we tend to have is a doctor who's an owner who doesn't want to work as much anymore. Like he's yeah. tired. He wants to hire an associate that does things exactly like him. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you know, if you had a, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of an analogy here. If you had like a Burger King inside of a McDonald's, like, <laughs> or, or you had like a little low grade, I don't want to call associates low grade, but you had a newer burger spot yeah. inside the McDonald's and people are coming in for McDonald's. So like, why do you have another burger spot? in? It's, it's yeah, I know you want way. McDonald's, but I make burgers this way. Yeah. It's like, why would you put the same thing in there when you can filter out things that are appropriate? Yeah. And have Especially some people cover bases. Packaging on it. You're still going to wrap it in the McDonald's wrapper and, and try and tell <laughs> you, no, this person's just like me. It's like, Maybe, but probably not. Like and people are smart enough to figure that analogy so that it works. Like yeah. you're still, you know, you guys know what I'm saying, right? It's yeah. like we might pick this to death, but you're, you're right. <laughs> so, so when the when the patient comes in, they're like, "Well, where's McDonald? Right? Like, where's yeah. where's Carl Karcher? Where's the guy? Well, no, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm doing the guy's thing, just like the guy. But you're not the guy or the gal. I want yeah, it's his want name the one, on the clinic. You know, yeah, their name's on the Carl. door. Yeah, where? Who are you? You know, it's Johnson chiropractor. Where's Johnson? You're Smith. <laughs> but if you, if you could establish, you know, that's why I always encourage, like, if you're a female doc and you're an owner and you're looking for an associate, uh, you know, I understand that you want somebody who can duplicate your services and maybe female is not the best way to go because those services are sometimes quite unique the way they deliver them. 
but maybe you want to hire a male or definitely on the male side, maybe you want to hire a female for the touch, yeah, the, I mean, the extra I preference. Like, or if you just want to adjust and you don't want to do the rehab, but the rehab's a very valuable and essential tool in this, in this whole world. Uh, maybe you want to hire someone who does that or vice versa. You want to do all the rehab and you don't want to do all the adjusting and soft tissue anymore. Like thinking a little bit outside of those boxes. What makes that really difficult though, is the relationship between lead doc owner and associate, which for most parts, and I can on the American side of the, of the Atlantic ocean are mostly very, very crummy relationships, crummy contracts, crummy communication, crummy expectations and all that. Yeah. It's, it, that was a big surprise for me when I, when I first started, like I joined FTCA and I started chatting to a lot of guys in the group. It's like, Wow, some like a lot of you are really anti this associate thing. Like it's it's kind of the norm here in the UK. Ninety five percent of graduates go work as associates for you know some two or three years, some ten years before they set up on their own. Some don't. Some get a good enough job and it's working out. They go, I don't need to be the clinic owner. I'm I'm happy with this. But it's kind of expected. The ones who set up on their own straight out of college are kind of the outliers. They're a bit like, really, you want to do that? And like my, per I'm biased because I do a lot of um, like mentoring with the Royal College of Like we have a whole postgraduate scheme over here that I do a lot of work with. So, you know, obviously I believe that that's really important. And I, I look at the guys setting up on their own and go like, that's brave, Matt. Like you want to learn to be a chiropractor and learn to be an entrepreneur <laughs> on your own with no, with no one there. Like I hope it works out and for some it has, but you know, I, I frankly look at that and go, that's, that's brave bordering on foolish for a lot of them. Um, but then I chat to a lot of you guys over there. It's like, wow, a lot of you are like, what? Hand over half my paycheck, go work. So, like, no, I'm, I'm starting my own thing straight away. And, I, you know, I thought it was like, oh, I guess it's just like the American dream. Yeah, USA, USA. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, like that's a part of it. But the more I've spoken to people, the more I've realized like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like you're, when you look around and see associate models, I get why a lot of you wouldn't touch that. Because don't get me wrong. There's really bad ones over here too. Like it's not like sure. Brits are saints and we're all, sipping tea and being very civilized and stuff like there's a lot of crummy ones here but um i think it's just more the norm so maybe there's you know statistically people put more more effort into it or something like that but um i get why it's not it's not popular over there because like you say a lot of them just it's a it's a bad relationship it started out bad it's it's often done for the wrong reasons the expectations between the the associate and the boss are just often miles apart and yeah, like I haven't spoken to enough people in the group. I'm like, oh, I get why you'd never want to do this again. Like if I was in your shoes, I wouldn't touch that with a barge pole either. Our um, challenge, like the universal challenge is how do you bridge that gap? Like how do you create, generate, or empower the good owners to be more insightful? And, uh, you know, it's not all on them. So we, we definitely, it's, it, you know, like just recently the, the, uh, sub the sub that exploded or imploded on its way down to the titanic everyone was sort of cheering because there were billionaires on board right and it's like yeah eat the yeah, rich. i see a lot of stuff online <laughs> really? eat the rich and yeah rich people yeah. died and all and it's like there is definitely some energy where people have this uh animosity towards the clinic owner mm. um because the, they think the money maker yeah there's raking in the bucks and you're probably I mean, after all the overhead expenses and all the messes you have to clean up for a new associate that they don't see mm. and all the losses that an associate produces because they don't have the communication skills or people yeah. escape out the back door, they vote with their feet silently, you know, yeah. you have those losses there. Um, you know, what? So that owner is going to take 20% profit, even though you say that he's getting half my money. Yeah, 30 of that's disappearing into the ether, you know? I think if, if you certainly over here, 20% would be very, I would be very happy if it was sure. Like it's, yeah. While, while the owner absorbs all the risk, you know, the owner yeah. absorbs all the risk. Um, if you do have a dragon on the front desk or a dragon over the adjusting table, the owner absorbs that. Yeah. And once again, like we said, you take your losses home with you. You barely, you rarely take home the victories. Yeah. And so then you not only hear about the patients that didn't work out so well for you, you hear about the patients that didn't work out so well for the whole damn clinic, you know, <laughs> it's like, those, those are the ones. Yeah. That when you get that, it's like, Oh man, like if it was me, I could, I'd like, I'd have an easier time handling that. Like whether it was my fault or not, I'd be like, okay, well I can be the one to patch this up. But like, ah, when it's someone else on the team, it's like, 
I, I feel, you know, there's that kind of torn where I want to like honor the patient's experience and not make them like, you know, don't blame them for it. But at the same time, I got sure. this team member. I don't want to throw them under the bus. And sometimes yeah. one of them's clearly done something wrong. Often it's just, it's just, yeah, poor communication. And it's, right. it's not a fun position to be in. And I think like, so I, I've spoken to quite a few people who I knew as associates now have set up their own thing. And like after a couple of years, they're like, yeah, I didn't know how good I had it. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know what? Like, just hearing you say that once is fine. Like, that's that's enough for me. <laughs> that's all I need to know. Yeah, just as long as you've recognized that at this point. We had one like- guy. He left to set up his own thing, and um, and it was great. You know, like he he let us know he he'd set up up in London. We're we're outside London, um, and over six months as his practice picked up, he tailed off here, and it was a lovely transition for him. And he went off, and it's great. We wished him all the best. Two years later, he came back, said, "Have you got a job going?" <laughs> But yeah. what happened is like, no, it's all right, but I hate it. He's yeah. like, I just want, I want to close my practice and be an associate again. Like just this entrepreneur thing, this running the business is not for me because, you know, we're, we're fortunate here that, I mean, the practice here has been established for nearly four decades. It's, it's older than I am. Um, and we have a good reputation in the area and, you know, we did a lot of hard work and really built it over time, but we're fortunate. We don't really have to do advertising. Like we've dabbled in some Facebook ads recently, just so like we weren't like, left behind the times if we did need to use that in the future but um but we often you know nearly everyone everyone apart from sam who actually i got to know through ftca funnily enough um all the others came to us as as new graduates and it's a bit of a double-edged sword because like i like to think i'm biased as anything but i like to think we give them a pretty damn good start like that's that's kind of my path i I really like giving them the first couple of rungs on the ladder like the fact that they may go off and do their own thing in a few years that's really cool. I love that. I, I love to see them, you know, go and thrive and build their own practice. But um, but nearly all of them come as new graduates, and it it can set up this unrealistic expectation where they think they're going to set up and patients just come in the door, right? Because that's what right. they do here. Like you just you, you open up for business and you get the website up and people come flooding. It's like yeah, that's taken four decades to get there. Like yes, absolutely. No one's walking around going, Where, "Where's a chiropractor just opening up that I can find?" You know. So um, I think, yeah, a few of them, it's been quite a rude awakening to go, oh, like you got to market and stuff. And I, I don't really know how to do You know what would be cool is like to hire an associate, have a satellite office for your associates. It's a an experimental ground. You go, you know, like on three, three days a week, you're going to be here in this office, but two days a week, you'll be in an office that you're going to run on your own. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, you collect most of the money there. We'd take our little overhead and all that. And you run your own office. Go this ahead and see how that works while you're still an employee. Yeah, and yeah. Decision. And if it takes off, you know, we get our percent for the overhead and all that. And, you know, overhead plus 10% or whatever. Yeah. But you, you get to, and then eventually you can buy that out. Or you can go and see how hard it is to run your mm-hmm. own office across town. And you may, maybe you decide to be an associate. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we've sort of, because what we used to do, I was chatting to a buddy of mine, Stefan, about this a while ago, and he pointed this out. He said, where I think a lot of practices go wrong, because it like it's it really sucks when people leave, because you put it, you know, the first year or two is a lot of investment, especially sure. if they're a new graduate. Like it, it takes a new graduate, my experience, at least a year before they start becoming an asset versus a liability. True. So that they actually start, you know, building the practice rather than taking a lot of your time. And, you know, if, if they do that and then they only stick around for another year and leave, like that sucks. That's you've put all this investment and the investments just walked off. But he points out, he said, yeah, but what are we, what are we offering them? He's like, we say, come work for me. You'll be an associate. Yeah. After your first year, you'll get a little pay rise off and, you know, you'll go from like junior rate to standard associate rate. But then they're just on that rate. And yeah, if they want to get busier, they'll earn more. But essentially we're just going, you know, we're teaching them how to be a chiropractor. Well, pretty much everybody after three years thinks they know how to be a chiropractor. Like yeah. hopefully after, you know, seven or eight, they realize, oh, okay, maybe I'm not done learning, but right. they think they've done that. They think, okay, box ticks. And then they're like, well, I'm really just here until I can be bothered to set up on my own. So That's a lot right. of them then leave quite quickly because all you've offered them, all they see the value is learning how to be a chiropractor and they think they get there quickly. So we, we're kind of introducing different roles and different tiers. And there's like a senior role, which is, you know, essentially that bridge between you're an associate and you're going to run your own thing. So if you want to learn how to run your own thing and you want to do that, like go off and do that with my blessing. But this senior role will start to involve you a bit more in the business. We'll show you how running the practice works. You'll start to mentor some of the younger docs as well. And it's essentially that bridge from being the associate to doing your own thing. And the beautiful thing with that is now they have a reason to stick around beyond the clinical. 
if they can see that oh, there's more I can learn here beyond that. They, they'll, this they'll is interesting. Okay, so I was going to ask you this question even before you mentioned that, but now I think you've answered it for me, but I'll still, for the audience, I'm still going to ask it anyways. This is an interviewer asking an interviewee a question. So there's uh, there's a gentleman, Andrew, Andrew Huberman, PhD, so Stanford. Uh, he teaches at Stanford Medical School, and I think he's an ophthalmologist or an uh, op, uh, a vision researcher. I'm not sure his exact... Uh, but he he is brilliant. He teaches a lot of like biochemistry and stuff at Stanford. And he does this on YouTube a lot too. And uh, he has a short video about how to always stay motivated forever. How to be motivated for life. And it essentially comes down to uh, dopamine systems and how to manage or use dopamine to your best advantage. Um, and th that comes down to whether you find your motivations from extrinsic things or intrinsic motivations. Hmm. And so my question as an interviewer to you is like how much of your operations and how much of the daily reward or the weekly or monthly reward for you and your associates and everyone else is really intrinsic, like about the grind, about being a chiropractor, about accomplishing these things to be a better clinician, to come connect with people, to build a network in your community, to find success in the people coming to the practice. How much of your practice and what you instill in your associates is about that versus looking at numbers, uh, talking about the paycheck, talking about the next raise? Because mm -hmm. what Huberman says is when you start only looking at these extrinsic factors as motivators, your motivation disappears. Yeah. But if, if, your motivation is the walk and you walk the walk because that is the motivation to be the best you can be and to live this life. You, you get stronger motivations and stronger success going in the future. I'm not saying that numbers don't matter. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's having a raise matter. doesn't matter, but I yeah. want to ask like, how much do you think, do you, do you think he's on base there? Do you have a lot of intrinsic motivation within your practice and that motivates people to stay and to produce and to be powerful within the practice or is everyone looking for the next paycheck i mean you're right you, you do need both but i was i'll put it this way i when i'm interviewing i'm selecting for intrinsic motivation Boom. That, that's what i'm looking for if you are looking to hire a yeah. an associate and you're watching or listening to this podcast i'm sorry we took so long to get to that point <laughs> but that is the million dollar we could have led with that right yeah there, yes it's, I, I want to see work ethic and I want to see coachability. I'm like, are you prepared to put in the work? Are you intrinsically motivated to be the best chiropractor? You can not like comparison, but just you want to grow. And are you prepared to take some advice? And can you take, like, I literally asked this in interviews, like, give me an example. When did you have some critical feedback that stung? And what did you do with it? Like, how did you process that? How did it lead to some sort of growth? Because if you can't give me a single example of where you took a bit of an emotional blow and turned it around, I'm already thinking, okay, I'll be honest, I'm not looking for someone to parent as well as mentor. And yeah. that, and yeah, that is the, and that's, I'm not picking on youngsters here. I've, I've seen that in like 35, 40 year old practitioners as well who just haven't had to do that. But I, I need to see intrinsic motivation. Extrinsic's important, it's there. And I don't really like, you know, some of my associates, you can tell it's a bit more extrinsic than others. The ratio shifts one way or the other. Like, I don't really mind as long as there's intrinsic there. And I, I personally think that has to be the core. I think that has to be there. Because otherwise, like, if you're just doing it for the paycheck, man, like half the stuff I teach in communication, it's not going to work for you. Like, you, you know, the, I, I used to start with, look, these are the words to say. These are the way to frame it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, now nah, we got to get inside your head. we, we got to look at no, you. No, that's a quote. Thomas Sowell says, um, Thomas Sowell says, if you speak the truth, you're speaking for the benefit of other people. Mm. If you're, if you're telling people what they want to hear, you're speaking for the benefit of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, uh, that might've been a paraphrase, make, but a pretty close. Make people think they're thinking they'll love you. If you make them actually think they'll hate you. That's completely <laughs> been my experience with associates. Like when you make them actually think they're like, Oh, this is really, un this is uncomfortable. I don't so like with patients, right? Like motivational interviewing is good for that. Make them think, make them look at their own data. You can see the discomfort on their face of like, hang on a minute, this this wasn't this wasn't what I thought. But if you want to create genuine change, like you you have to do that. There's no there's no easy path to growth. Otherwise, it would <laughs> you'll just do it really. 
Okay. So I think that, you know, we wanted to include this bridging the gap between owner and associate conversation into this podcast, but I think we can truncate it down to that concept for people because this Mm -hmm. can get nebulous. It can go in a lot of different directions, but if you are an associate looking for a great place to practice, one of the things you need to figure out during the hiring process is, is this clinic intrinsically motivated or do they only give a shit about the numbers? Mm. Which means they're also going to make sure that they give a shit about keeping overhead down, which is going to keep your extrinsic numbers down too. <laughs> do they have a place for you to grow, to learn, and to succeed? And is that place uh, rooted in customer, patient-centeredness? Is it rooted in being the best we can be? Is it rooted in uh, working on our reputation and our skill set and just really trying to be excellent, a pursuit of excellence? Is the clinic you're looking to work for intrinsically motivated or extrinsic? Which, How does that skew? On yeah. the opposite end, just like you said, if you're looking for an associate, you need to look for those things as well. Intrinsically motivated. They want to be the best. They want to... Uh, they'll do whatever it takes to to win and yeah. to learn. Those are the ones that are just a joy to work with. Like it's it's so different. And it's fun. as you were saying that, I realized it's like the kind of zero sum game versus non zero sum game. Like if, extrinsic yeah. motivators. If you focus on that, it, it has to be a win lose. Like who's going to make the more money here? It's like uh, I don't, did we talk about before about like transactional versus transformational relationship? It, it's sort same of the thing. same. Same similar, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know if we talked about it, but. Well, it's it's similar sort of idea. If it's all about in- extrinsic motivators, like you say, if they're motivated by the numbers, then they're going to want to keep yours low so they get more. Whereas if it's intrinsic, it's it's like exponential growth. It's not a zero yeah. something. It's like the more I put into you, the more I get out. The more you put into the practice, the more you know. It's it, everybody grows together. It's, it's well. Here's the thing. Also, there are some times where you don't meet the numbers. Mm-hmm. There, there are just some bad months, like chiropractic, like consistent practice over a long period of time. Uh, show me, show me one. They're pretty rare. Like there's dips and valleys. There's like slow parts of the year. And uh, depending on where you live in the country, in America, we've got insurances that have like deductibles and people disappear when it's time to pay their deductible. And then once their deductible is paid down with other medical expenses, they start showing up again. So then they just have to pay their copay, which is much less. Um so if you're extrinsically motivated, you miss those numbers one month and you don't get your bonus. Yeah. Whatever. You're mentally you're done because you yeah, were, you're, all you your energy it. was driven. This yeah. was what Huberman was pointing at was a Stanford research project where they took like kindergartners that love to paint. And they just said, paint. Hmm. So paint whatever you want. Have fun. Paint. And the kids love to paint and they were painting and having a great time. And they took uh, the test group. And they started to reward them for their paintings, little gold stars. Yeah. And the control group, they just painted. Yeah. And then uh, gold stars, little treats and things like that. And then after a while, they started to remove the gold stars, remove the treats from the test group. And they didn't want to paint anymore. They yeah. stopped. And so that's the in- extrinsic motivated. The, the ones that were intrinsically motivated to keep on painting, no matter what, they kept on going. And they probably improved and loved art for the rest of their life. Yeah, there's that reminds me. There's something around uh, like you know DNA and no-show policies. I uh, there's a book I read years ago called Freakonomics, and he gave the example of um, I think it was in Israel. It doesn't matter where it was. Though. It was this nursery, and they had this issue of parents turning up late to pick up the kids because they can't go home and lock up when the kids there. So if yeah. a parent's late, it's ha- they have to Everyone's stay late. Yeah, Hayden. And um, so they it was a problem, and they instituted like a fine. They were like, you know what? It's going to be $10 for every 15 minutes you're late or something like that. And they thought, we'll, we'll introduce a financial penalty. It got worse, like and like significantly, like twice as bad. And they were like, oh, like what's happened there as well? Because parents are going, oh, I can just pay you now. <laughs> yeah. Or his intrinsic motivation. So I've, I've, you know, inconvenienced you. I kept you late. I'm so sorry. It was this, you know, this social guilt they had. But now they could pay that off, and the price they set was too low. So people went, oh, I'll, I'll chuck you twenty quid to, to turn up late. And then they went, this hasn't worked. Got rid of it. It stayed just as bad. It didn't get be- go back to where it was. It was permanently lower because people are like, well, you've set a price on this now, and from our perspective, yeah. it looks like it's not as much an inconvenience as we thought. And so it's the same, you know, if you've got a DNA policy and it's it's too loose and it's too woolly and it's not enough of a penalty, you can make it worse. We found the stricter we've got with us, the harsher it is, the less fewer exceptions we give out. You know, we don't give warnings anymore. You know, if it is the full amount. People are way, ha- it happens less, but people are way happier. We have fewer issues from patients than ever 
when we used to like give warnings and oh, okay, but next time don't do it. It's it, people didn't like that because there wasn't a clear bound. It's like a dog that doesn't know if it can go and play in the yard or not. It's kind of running around like stressed. Like I want to play in the yard, but I don't want to get yelled at. And I don't know what the rule is here. We, uh, we have automatic locking doors. So they don't unlock until patient visit times. So we eliminated people showing up half an hour early just to randomly kind of walk in and be like, can you just adjust, <laughs> adjust me now? Yeah. Like we, we've tried to set the sort of the thing, like, you know, be on time, be three minutes early, five minutes early, mm. you know, even be five minutes late. The five minutes is kind of the window, but anything yeah. other than that, where it's unacceptable. You reschedule if you're late and you wait in the parking lot until it's your time. Yeah. Even if we have a full clinic, full waiting room, you wait till it's your time. Yeah. The discipline matters and some people respond really well to it if you start setting boundaries yeah people like it another chiropractic issue is a lot of chiropractors are sort of people pleasers right so they get walked all over and then they uh, um, they get burnt out on that end too yeah it's i I think that's the thing a lot of them don't realize it's like you you think you're being nice but you're building up resentment and that resentment is going to come out of your patients. You'll deny it and you'll hide it and you'll mask it and you'll, you'll turn a blind eye to it. But that is coming out to your patients. That is not nice. That's, um, that's not an okay thing. Nobody wins from it. One of my strong suits is I've been able to sort of like in times of need people, like a doc's gone down, need surgery. Um, you know, somebody, is really sick and they just need to, you know, sort of that locum tenens type of thing. I had never really been an actual locum tenens, but I've saved some people in a pinch and the, the ability to walk into a practice that's not yours with patients that have never met you uh, and then excel, like actually grow the practice while a doctor's out for three months post-surgical uh, that, you know, that's unique talent. Yeah. Like I challenge anyone to try that, but sometimes <laughs> you, you find like you find the little disastrous things the other doctor was doing with the patients and you set everyone straight. And that's actually where the growth comes from. Yeah. is like, you start setting parameters and be like, no, that guy was letting you get away with murder here. That, that's not how it works. We're going to yeah. show up on time. Uh, we're going to do our homework. Um, you know, we're going to be respectful to the staff and not call them names or be rude. And all the, you know, just being the adult in the room, being the doctor doctor, as they would say, right? Yeah, yeah. It actually, it's counterintuitive, but it will, it'll be another 10% growth to your practice if you start being the leader. Yeah, you, you don't have to build the extension. You just tidy up and wipe the knock off the wall sometimes. It's like, you've got a pretty good thing here. We just got to clear out the crap. That's right. That's right. Um, so I, I, I am, I have now boosted my own ego in this podcast. There's, there's a lot of good things I do here. I've got some talents. Um, that's cool. That's what it's about. Uh, I love this concept, the, the concept that you bring to the table, the conversation, because I don't think the conversation exists enough. We have a huge conversation around techniques. There's always conversations around billing and insurance and the man trying to keep us down and those weirdo straight chiropractors are ruining it for the rest of us. And oh my God, did you see what that guy did on his TikTok channel and there's all that stuff, but none of that moves you forward as much as these things that are integral, but satellite conversations, mm-hmm. this one. And I, I feel weird saying that this should not be satellite. Cause it does feel like it's central to everything that I do. The ability to, um, it, it's like a certain level of empathy or stoicism. I don't even know what you'd fucking call it. It's like, just the be- ability to be cool and listen yeah, and say, you know, what's best for everybody in the room? How can we create a win-win situation for everybody who's existing in this one place at the same time? And it's a fundamental rule of life. And I think that's why I appreciate you so much because you're walking the walk and talking the talk of a fundamental rule of life that so many of us either need to learn or be reminded of. And that is when you create victories for everybody else around you, you will win too, intrinsically or extrinsically. <laughs> um, so, you know, for for all those who are listening, you know, there's only one Chris Chippendale. <laughs> find find him and latch on to this information. Um, anytime he's sort of dropping a webinar or uh, making a post or anything, they're always worth listening to. This is valuable stuff. It 
it's um it's martial arts in a way you you don't get your black belt automatically you have to work your way through you have to get choked out over and over again oh yeah <laughs> i mean even my own experience running the ftca if anybody's been around long enough they would say i have grown from it hmm. because i have gotten feedback positive and negative and some of it i wouldn't say it's well i've had my feelings hurt before sure some people said some very very mean things some people said very false things about me and mm. you learn the nature of humanity even people who you think are your friends sometimes but i've always taken what people have said into account and said well what does that actually mean because mm. that's what you need to do with a patient too when they say things like what did they actually mean when they said that yeah yeah you know i i had a patient he was filling out the um neck disability index form he refused to fill it out because it said the word disability on it Mm. why won't you fill out the damn form is what's going on in my head i'm like so what's the hold up what's why are you reticent to fill out this form he's like the neck disability index form i'm like oh uh, okay so yeah it says the word disability that doesn't mean that you're disabled it doesn't go towards a disability you're you're perfect and powerful and strong the way you are you have some challenges this just measures the challenges and how yeah. i like that the neck challenges index that's see <laughs> see you gotta the words matter right and that's yeah, what he yeah. said i said it's just a, it's just the word the title and he's like well words matter and i'm like oh shit dude we're gonna get along just fine <laughs> <laughs> um and because words matter and you like words that means you matter too chris chippendale oh, i appreciate you saying that man that's... i wish we didn't live so far away and um the hours matched up a lot easier. I would talk to you forever, but this is a podcast and but we got to cover like an hour at the most yeah. or people get all We'd probably run over now, haven't we? But, just, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we will schedule this again. You're going to be a regular for sure. And um, be good fun, man. I look forward to it. I always look forward to these. And we've got some, some more fun stuff to do in the future. So I always appreciate you and I appreciate all the stuff you do. Likewise. And yourself, Bobby. Appreciate it. Right. Yes, sir. <laughs>